You know, when you go to the doctor's office and they tell you to strip down and, and put on a robe, um, I don't know about you, but I, I, think I find that to be uncomfortable, right? It's like knowing that all of a sudden the, the clothes are off and there's just a robe between you and the doctor, and more than likely he's going to come in and ask to see behind that robe. And it's just like, ah, yeah, I don't even know you. <laughs> I don't even know you. I don't even like you. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, anyway, th- I kind of feel that way this morning because we are going to talk about uh, the qualifications for elders. And so we're going to like, I feel like I'm standing up here, going to talk about the qualifications uh, for myself. And uh, man, I look, I read through the qualifications and I, I look at that and I'm like, man, I check, check, ooh, <laughs> uh, check, check, ah. Uh, and we're not just talking about it for me, we're talking about it for the church. This is, a, of course, a pretty... Uh, cool time in the life of our church. At our last family meeting, uh, we announced that we are going to elect elders. Actually, I've been talking about electing elders for like a long time, and we actually revealed who those are to to you at the last family meeting. Uh, And so we talked, and we introduced to you Andrew McKnight as an elder candidate. Um, Elder uh, Andrew and his wife Stacy were part of River City Church that merged in with us in June of 2019. And he was an elder there. And the same things that they saw in him that caused River City Church to elect him as an elder, we saw those same attributes. And uh, I, I, having seen him, I think he meets these qualifications. The second elder uh, is Buddy Sampson. And Buddy's sitting right here. Um, Buddy, a, uh, uh, with us from the start, uh, Originally had the title of college pastor and then transitioned his role to more of an associate pastor role. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, he, is, he has worked and functioned as an elder in this church from the very beginning, but without the laying on of hands necessarily, the, the ordination or like the official call. And so we're going to make that official in that way. But we also announced in that same meeting uh, that we are sending uh, Buddy and Brooke Sampson out to plant Overland Church Durango. In Durango, Colorado, and so, uh, man, they're in that process. It is a process. You know, when you say you're leaving it to, to plant a church, uh, I mean, it, it. We, you know, it's almost more like pregnancy than a planting in some ways. It feels like it's a you got to birth that church, and so it's a long, long um, process. And so they're starting there. So as we as we talk through this morning. Um, who should lead the church? We talk through the ecclesiology and, and, and how the church works. I want you to do so in mind with our two elder candidates, Andrew McKnight and Buddy Sampson. I'll talk a little bit more about how that process is going to work here in, in just a minute. We start talking about who leads the church, who's, who's the leader of the church. You really get a lot of different answers depending on where you are in the crowd that that you're you're in, and, and I would I would say, and I, I I have read. By the way, just let me say that that so much of my thoughts that I'm sharing today have been shaped by uh, two different books: biblical eldership and gospel eldership. Alexander Strock, who who really has written the textbook on biblical eldership, and Robert Thune, who basically wrote a commentary on biblical eldership in a lot in a lot of ways. So just let me just let me go ahead and say like I'm not plagiarizing anything because I've just put a blanket statement over that. Now, that being said, I don't think um, I don't I'm not like using their 
content word for word, but they have shaped my, my thought. And so it's, it's pointed out that, uh, not just from them, you read about church governance, you're going to get people who, who kind of throw church governance into to, to three camps. And one, the first one is that of a hierarchy, right? And if, if you know much about the Catholic Church, if you think about the Catholic Church, um, you have the Pope who sits uh, in the Vatican in Rome. And um, under him are cardinals, and under them are archbishops, and then bishops, and then there are priests, and then there are deacons in uh, local congregation. So the, the local congregation, like that, that church, they don't choose um, who their priest is going to be. Somebody up the ladder chooses, like the, the bishop chooses what priest is going where. So that's the hierarchical system uh, that really has shaped much of church history. So as Protestants, uh, we protested um, against the Catholic Church and, and reformed the Reformation against the the, the, the Catholic Church. But I'm just going to tell you that I think there are some denominations who did not reform enough. And so uh, if you look at some of our Protestant brothers and sisters, and I'll call, gladly call them brothers and sisters, Presbyterian uh, brothers and Methodist brothers and sisters who believe the gospel. There's my, my you know, who, who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, they still have a hierarchy in their, their system, right? There's still hierarchy. They're not congregational. So you've got the hierarchy. Then you've got what is considered uh, board-led, elder-led or board-led. Now, this is actually more common than you may think. A lot of, especially bigger churches, end up being board-led. And let me explain uh, how that works. So you've heard of a board of trustees, right? Like big entities, corporations, big nonprofits have a board of trustees. They pull um, trustees from different places. So a lot of times a guy will go out and he will plant a church and he will start a board and he'll call them elders, but they will be pastors at other churches and they will advise him and give counsel to him, often help fund him. Like that's kind of the difference. Like in, in, in big or, organizational boards, you get, can get paid to be on the board. Like if you're on the board at Walmart, you get paid. Uh, if you get the board of the church, like there's a good chance you're, you're paying. Um, and so what, what that looks like is there's men from outside of their churches who are making decisions about what goes on in the local church. So there's boards, so you've got this hierarchical system, which is probably the most common. You've got boards that, that even when churches to appear, appear to be like a community church or an independent autonomous church, really the decision-making lies in a board. And then you've got congregational churches. So in a congregational church, we, we, and that's what we are, we claim local autonomy. Meaning, the Pope can say whatever he wants, and we don't care. There's no one over our church instructing our church what we should do. We, we agree to cooperate with others. Uh, we agree to partner with others for mission. Those kind of things, we may be in networks. Well, we are in networks, so we can be in networks and network with other churches uh, for the good of the gospel, but really, we're a local congregation, and so we're congregational-led. Now, things get real muddy. You think, all right, that's easy. Like, we, we, we're congregational-led. There are so many different interpretations of congregational leadership. 
and it's done so many ways, and maybe interpretation isn't a great word because I'm pretty sure some of them didn't consult the Bible at all to interpret how they should do it. Uh, probably one of the most common ways in congregational churches are deacon-led churches, that the deacons uh, are the ones who kind of have power over the pastor, and the pastor just kind of does what the, deacon, the deacons say to do, and they fire and hire, and, and, and um, that's pretty common thing. There's others that are, that are uh, what they would call single elder-led. There's one elder. They may have some people who work under them, but there's one elder. And then uh, the, the, in, in the congregational model that, that I believe is biblical is that which we would call a plurality-led congregational church. And so there's a plurality of elders. Everywhere in the Bible that we see the word elder, we see, we see it being talked about within a plurality. It's plural. And just real quick as we, we go through some things, I want you to understand that when we hear that word, um, elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, bishop, all of those things really mean the same thing. Um, if you have an ESV Bible, you won't find the word pastor in it at all. Um, so in, in studying Greek and looking at the different Greek words, they can all kind of come together and be, you, can, you could say, this is our pastor. We have a plurality of pastors. We have a plurality of elders. You could call it pastor elder. Uh, the role and the qualifications to meet that role are, are what, in fact, matters. Now, here's something that's, that's, that, that we believe. We believe in a priesthood of believers. Okay? So that means that, that everybody who's placed their faith and trust in Christ... You have access to God. You, you are, you are a, a, a pastor, priest of, of sorts. If we look at the Catholic Church, you need to go to a priest to make repentance, to do those things, to get, get to God, to, to, to pay the price, to ask for forgiveness, those things. We believe, that priests of believers, that you get to do that. right? So we, we believe, when we're talking about congregational, you have to realize... That we believe everybody in the congregation is at equal, equal footing, equal standing. And that the pastor, elder, bishop, whatever you want to call him, is also a member of the church. He's also a part of the priesthood of believers. And what I'm basically saying is he puts his pants on one leg at a time just like you do. Right? He's nothing, he's nothing special. And I think it's also important to remember that he's a part of the local body in the church just like you are. And that he needs the care and the love of the body just like you do, right, and, and, and his family. And so I, I would make that, that note. So what we see happen, because there is a priesthood of believers, it's the local congregation, we see some instruction uh, in the Bible that tells us to appoint elders. Titus chapter 1, verse uh, 5 this is what Paul says to Titus. By the way, this is the very first book that we preached through as a church in 2019 when we launched was the book of Titus. And this is why, because he gives instructions on how to set up a church. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you uh, might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so Timothy, uh, Paul saying to Titus, you're, you're going you're gonna to get things in order as, as at the church, and you're going to appoint elders. 
not one elder, but elders as I directed you. And so we see kind of the role of apostle in the Old Testament as, as think, think Paul, think missionary journey, would go into a town and he would start a congregation. Uh, they, they would get to the point where they would appoint the leaders in the church. There's another place in Scripture uh, where it says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That basically means do not be hasty in appointing elders. And so that process, what that means is we need to be careful with who we appoint. He's saying we need to be slow to appoint elders to make sure that they meet the standard, which we're going to talk about uh, today. Now, no one can accuse me of being hasty of appointing elders. You might accuse me of a lot of things, uh, but we're at three and a half years, and we've been doing this process for every bit of two years. And um, we want to watch, watch guys and, and look at their, their, their lives. And so the planter comes into town. This is kind of the, the model that we see from Scripture, the planter. Uh, we obviously don't, don't want to call planters apostles because um, though they have this apostolic function, uh, they, they come into town, they, the pastor starts the church, he is the single elder of the church, but as the church grows, he's going to raise up other elders and hand off leadership and responsibility so that it is not only on his shoulders. This is what I believe to be the biblical model. Our process looks like this. And, and this, this, this process will, will change in one variation uh, going forward. I, being the planter and lead pastor of this church, through prayer, seeking the Lord, reading the scriptures, and wise counsel within my wife, within other leaders in the church, have brought forth two candidates for us to, to, to raise up as a congregation. Now, I do not have the authority within the bylaws and how we, when, when he talks about putting things to order in the way that we've ordered our church, I do not have the authority to make them elders. I only, I only got to choose them to bring them forward to you. We announced them to you at our family meeting, and at our next family meeting in August, which is, which is three months essentially, that is when we will put them forward for a vote. During the time that we've done this, that we, we've said this is the gap, this is, this is us not being hasty and laying on of hands, this is the time in which we can question them and look at them and make sure that they are meeting the qualifications. We're going to do several things. One, I'm teaching on it. Then I'm going to give opportunity uh, in, in, in a couple of different ways for you to meet them, know them, question them. We're a small church. You can go up and ask them whatever you want, right? If you have cons questions, concerns, or criticisms, take them to dinner. Pay for it, all right? Ask questions. Um, so, all that being said, like that, that's an incredibly long intro. Here is our big truth for today as we dive in. The local church is to be led by a plurality of qualified men known as elders. The local church is to be led by a plurality of men, of qualified men, men known as elders. Today our primary text is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there. Uh, there are essentially three places in Scripture that, that put a lot of thought into this. 
First Timothy, where we're going to be today, Titus, and First Peter chapter 5. I'll reference those other two, but we're just going to break down. I just basically chose one passage to, to, to break down, and it's going to be First Timothy chapter 3. So let's start reading in verse 1. The saying is, trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So here's the first thing I want us to see in this passage today. The first big idea is the call to be an elder is a high calling. Notice, notice what he says here. And so I, I want you to know, I, I use the word call right here on purpose. But that is not the language that he's using. He says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so the first thing I just want to point out is the call. We use calling... In, in the local church and sometimes abuse call. We would say things like, I feel called uh, to, to plant a church or I feel called to the mission field or I feel a call to this area of ministry. And, and, and here's what, what I, I, would, I would show you, uh, one, through church history, through two, through the, the scriptures, is that over and over and over, people have basically used this kind of language of the stirring of one's heart, the leading of the Holy Spirit um, to, to say the way in which God is leading them is as if he's calling them. Now, I would tell you that the one true and biblical call in Scripture is the call to follow Christ, to take up your Christ daily and follow him. Like that, that's, the, that's the first call. No one is called to do anything that hasn't answered that, the call to follow Christ, to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Be saved, And when we do that, and in some of us, when the Lord stirs something in our heart, we answer that call. We answer that call of obedience. Some people may never, never, never feel that, and they just are, say, we're going to be faithful, we're going to follow the Bible. But there's other people who are going to say, no, I must. There's nothing else I can do. I, I, I must do this thing. He uses the word aspire, who aspires to be an overseer. And I believe that's kind of what happens when the Lord calls us. He puts this aspiration in our heart. It's an aspiration uh, to follow him in doing that thing. So the, the person who's felt the stirring of God, who aspires to be, a, be, a, be a, a pastor, elder, overseer, whatever you want to call it, who aspires to that office, it's the Lord moving and working in him. Now, does that mean that everybody who aspires, uh, aspires to be a pastor uh, should be? No, it doesn't. I mean, there, I, I've, had, I've had conversations where, with, with young men who, who like, they're, they're at some sort of 
um, church uh, event or gathering, they hear somebody stand up and, and, and preach, and they, they have everybody's attention on them, and people applaud them, or they laugh, or, or whatever, and the, the, the young man goes, I want that. I want people to look at me, and I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm awesome. Boy, he has missed what it means to be a pastor. One, the first thing I just say, you poor fool. <laughs> you think people going to like you? No. Some people going to like you. Some people ain't going to like you at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. The, the point isn't to be liked. The point is to make Christ known, right? So there are people who have the wrong aspirations in their heart when they step up to it. That's why we would say, um, and we're going to talk about what it means to be qualified for the call. There's qualifications uh, for the call. I would just again, though, want to point out that he desires a noble task. What we see in Scripture is that being a pastor is a noble task. It's a high calling. I want to tell you this. It being a noble task, a high calling, it's not because I get to lead you and be with you and make decisions and, and do all these things. It's because I get to serve Jesus in an extra special way. I, I, I get to serve Jesus in an extra special way. I get to serve Jesus in this high calling. That is what makes it awesome. That's what makes it a high calling. I, I want to serve like Jesus served. I want to look like Jesus. And so to be an elder is a high calling. It is a noble thing. And it comes with sacrifice. And so we look at Buddy and Andrew. We know that they're, they're not just doing this. Um, I hope they're not doing this. That's like why we're putting them forward. Uh, for, for, for human praise or for human adoration. They're doing it to humbly serve Jesus by serving his church. Which means by serving you. Here's my next big idea. The qualifications to be an elder are first of character then of competency. Okay? Now, I want us to read through this list again. We're going to start at verse 2. We're going to read down. And I want you to pay attention as I read. What is a, a competency issue? What is about his personal gifting and his ability versus what is character? Okay? All but one thing in this passage fit into uh, either, either character or competency and there's one thing that just kind of sticks out a, a little bit so therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife I, 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 I believe that means a one woman man okay that's a one woman man that is not somebody who's running around cheating on his wife not a polygamist as a one woman man sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So, what we read there is a, a, a list 
of character traits with one competency, which is the able to teach. That's, that's the competency that's listed. He's, he's able to teach. When we read it in Titus, um, he, he says something a little different. His list is, is, is a lot the same, but he says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also uh, to rebuke those who contradict it. And so that's what it means to be able to teach. I think that's commentary on able to teach. It's not merely being able to, to stand up in a crowd and, and teach so that people can learn. He's got to teach the right things. He's got to know his doctrine. He's got to guard his life and his doctrine well. He's got to know those things. Everything else is about character. And so there's one qualification about not being a new, new convert, right, that, that plays into the other. It shouldn't be a new convert. I think that means his wife shouldn't be a new convert. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that go, go on in that. Uh, the other three are of character, the other three categories. And so I want to show you this. I, I believe that basically, as I, as I look at it, you, you can divide these up into three kind of categories. Personal life, family life, and public life. And so when you start reading through there, right, he must be sober-minded. Must be of, of sober mind, not emotional up and down, and uh, he's got to be steady in that way. He's got to be self-controlled, right? He's got to. He, he can't be a man that loses his anger and his and his and his and his temper all the time. That flies off off the rails. And and man, this is one of the things that man. If you're <laughs> self-control, this will disqualify you. This is one of the things I struggle with. Self-control, um, respectable. Hospitable, right? Not a, not a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle. He must be a, a, a gentleman. Not quarrelsome. And so many guys just love a good fight. I, I think some guys are drawn to the ministry because they're drawn to a good debate. And, and it can't be that. You don't, you don't want somebody who's just showing up to debate. You, you want somebody that's gentle. Not a lover of money. Now, I would joke right here and say, I'd sure hope not. I'd sure hope he's not a lover of money. But the truth is, there's some really, really, really rich pastors, pastors, preachers, right? Listen, in Nigeria, the richest man in the country is a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. Isn't Isn't that insane? To think about, and if you think about uh, Nigeria, and you think about there's definitely elements of Nigeria that are developed, but they're underdeveloped places, and that that man is uh, praying in on the poor and selling them a false gospel so that they'll give money so that they think they can get out of their circumstances and situations as if that's going to make life better, right? I, I would I would point to. Um, so, you know, the, the Benny Hens, the Creflo Dollars, right? The, the Joel Olsteins, the, oh man, the, the, dude in the, the dude with the plane with the demon-possessed eyes. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland. There we go. You know who I was talking about, right? You look at those guys, and, and they, they, have, they love money, and they have used it. They have, they have used it. Uh, they, they have tied millstones around their neck. I want you to understand that. They're, they're unbelievers, not qualified for the office of, of ministry, and, and they're lovers of money. He, he must not be a lover of, of money. He must be willing. Um, 
You know, there, there definitely is, in, in the Catholic Church, priests, priests take a vow of poverty, uh, meaning, hey, um, I'm going to be poor and I'm okay with it. Now, I think that, that there's another piece of scripture that says you ought, to, you ought to take care of the pastor who preaches and teaches. You ought to take care of your pastors that's there. Um, that also, like, for a lot, of, a lot of years meant, hey, when I get some tomatoes out of the garden, I'm going to take them to them, right? So it, it, it means you shouldn't love money, but the church should take care of them. He must, uh, that, so those, those are, are personal. There's some other personal ones on, down there. Um, but you kind of see a transition into family. He must manage his household, his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. A pastor must disciple his children, discipline his children, point them to Christ. The elder must, must do that. I would just tell you that I have, I have been an eyewitness. So we, we talk about who are the worst kids in the church? PKs, right? The PKs, the MKs, the pastor's kids. Now, I'll tell you, in this church, they may be the most rowdy, but they, you know, but they love Jesus, right? <laughs> Just because you like, look out the window, they're on top of a storage container um, in the middle of uh, Overland 101. <laughs> Right, literally that happened. We were, we were having an Overland 101, and somebody's looking out the window. They're like, a kid just ran across the top of a storage container. We're like, our philosophy of parenting is to make our kids brave, but don't conflate brave. And anyway, don't, don't mix those things up. We want our kids to be brave. We have a reason for wanting our kids to be brave, because we want to send them to the ends of the earth for the sake of the gospel, and you can't do that when you're scared. Anyway, um, their, their family must, must uh, be discipled. And I've watched firsthand pastors who forsake their family and their duties as, as, as husbands and fathers to minister to the church and do the work of the church. And I've seen those, those kids walk away from the church when they can and despise the church and, and hate the church. I've, I've seen it because, why, why, think about that, if, if, if the pastor is given everybody attention but his child, his child is going to resent it. If the pastor... Doesn't, doesn't have those qualities those, those per, of his personal life, of his devotional life. If, if he's not those things, if he's not gentle, if he's at home and he's mean, he's arrogant, and uh, he's a jerk, and he's abusive, and he's a drunkard, and he shows up on Sunday and pretends he's something else to the rest of the church, that kid is going to resent it and walk away. And so uh, a pastor must disciple his children. He must love his wife and his his kids. There, there is very much a, a family calling. He must manage his own household well. I think that, that applies to the, the whole household. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how he care for, for, for God's church. Um, he, he must have his family life in practice. That is, that is an issue of character. He cannot be doing one thing at home, uh, or one thing out, and coming home and living a, a, a double standard. He must manage his household well. Um, in uh, Titus, it says, If anyone, let's see, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of uh, debauchery or insubordination. And so he throws those qualifications in. I would just note right there that this has typically been interpreted. So like I would tell you that Andrew doesn't 
To some people's reading, Andrew would not meet that qualification because his children are little, right? They're like, um, we, don't, we don't sprinkle babies. We don't, you know, we don't do that and wait for confirmation, right? We, we believe in believer's baptism. But the way that this has kind of traditionally been inter- interpreted is that once his kids um, are, are able to make that, those decisions, they're not lit- living in insubordination, they're not in debauchery, um, they're, they're not living lives that are ungodly because they haven't been discipled well. I believe, I believe if, a, if a father that is a pastor doesn't disciple his, disciple his children and teach his children to follow Christ, then he is not qualified for the office. I believe that if he does that and he's, he has pastored and shepherded his children and at some point in their life they walk away from the faith, that doesn't disqualify him. Right, it's their decision and their choice. So it's a, it's about his his approach, his leading them, and their following him are part parts of it. I, I do think that this is an area in which you could lose qualification of a, a pastor over or not be qualified for. But I don't think that applies to your babies. Just so we're, that we're that we're clear. And then his public life. Um, he must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so there's definitely uh, a season uh, when someone comes to Christ that they need to mature in the faith. Lest they be, uh, fall into uh, the trap of the devil and they must be thought of well by outsiders. And so it's your public life, your personal life, your family life, your public life. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. Another snare of the devil. And so the outside world should be able to look at the pastor and say, man, that, that guy is bold, he's brave, he preaches something that I, don't, uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. Man, he's a good neighbor, right? He's a good neighbor. I, he, he should be able to look at them and go, that, 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 that's a good man. That's not a bad man. That's a, that's a good man. If he really knows him, he ought to be able to look at him and say, yeah, every dealing I've had with him is that of integrity, Right? He, he borrowed money from me. He paid it back, right? He, um, he, I did work on his car. He paid me for the work on his car. I mean, it should be, be thought of like when, when you go into um, a store or through a drive through that, that you're not just a jerk to people. How you operate with people in a public space. They, you ought to operate as Jesus operates. To love them, to love them as your neighbor, as yourself. To consider people more significant than yourself. So... Um, how, how you, I mean, there, there's, I'll just tell you this, there's some, some pastors who, on, on Twitter, is really the main avenue right now, these pastors, I believe, are disqualifying themselves because they are being mean, rude jerks. I agree with it. So much stuff that they say. But I, dis- I disagree on how their, their appearance to outsiders is not that of, let me show you the love of Jesus, let me in the kindness show you who Christ is, I will show you where your sin is and where that sin is hurtful to you and it's a sin, it's an abomination to God. You can, you can say all those things. But you're not a jerk. Being a jerk is not a qualification to be a pastor. And so their, their, their character in their personal life, their family life, and their, in their public life must match the Scriptures. And then they must be able to teach. Right? And then they must be able to teach. 
so often in the church, we have take, taken gifted people, and whatever their gifting is, and we've platformed them because of their competency, and we've ignored character issues because of their competency, because of their giftedness, and it has been to the detriment of the body of Christ. We, we can't look at, we, we, have, we have to hold character up of most importance, and then we look at competency, able to teach. Uh, able to teach, I think, doesn't, doesn't just merely mean standing up here and being able to preach. I think it means able, able to teach in multiple environments, in the kids' environment, in the adult environment, able to uh, disciple. It definitely means, though, able to know doctrine, teach doctrine, teach the Bible, and guard against false doctrine. This is a huge part of, of what Paul is teaching in Titus that's part of the that he's telling Titus to do is to guard against false doctrine, to keep the church on course. And this is what elders must be able to do. And so I would put forth Buddy and Andrew. And as I have looked at their lives and I've looked at their personal life, their family life, their, their public life, their uh, ability to serve and to know uh, the, the word and to doctrine and to guard against false doctrine and be able to confront people over false doctrine, I think these men, men meet these qualifications. And so therefore, I, this is part of me presenting them to you. Now it is your job as a congregation to evaluate those things as well, to ask the right questions and be able to and willing to lay on the hands, lay, lay hands on them to appoint them uh, ordain them as your, your elders and leaders of your church. Now, here's my last big idea. And it's this, that Christ is the head leader of the church. Elders must follow him, and you must too. Christ is the chief shepherd right he is the head it says in other places the pastor is just the under shepherd he's 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 is very much what paul said you follow me as i follow christ church follow your elders as your elders follow christ be willing uh, to submit to your elders as they submit to christ you don't submit to your elders if they're not in submission to christ do you understand that that, that, that what you are following, the headship that you are following, is Christ. It is Christ who is the head of the church. He, uh, the, the church is his bride. He gave himself up for the church. I mean, the good news is that if you are a part of the church, a member of the church, you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've turned from your sins, and you've believed in the Lord Jesus, you've taken up your cross and you followed him daily, right? You're joining the church through baptism. That's the first ordinance that Brandon talked about last week. It's you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're obedient in baptism, and you join the church. You're a part of the church. You've um, uh, committed, covenanted together with the church. You have this op you have the, the, the same responsibility as the elder, and that is to follow Christ. And so here's here's just my encouragement for us today. 
I lay out these personal life, family life, public life. I, I lay those things out. And you go, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not trying to be an elder. I don't aspire to be an elder. That doesn't apply to me. No, it absolutely does. The, the same things that, that apply to him, apply to the elder, apply to you. Humility, gentleness. God, you, you know what? You ought to be a one-woman man, men in the church. Right? You ought to be a one-woman man. You ought to be gentle. You ought to disciple your children. I mean, those are all things that, that, that this applies to us. So follow Jesus. Follow Christ. Make him uh, the, the head. I, I would tell you this, that if, if there were some circumstance, let's just say, for, for, for whatever reason, I, I got really sick. And let's say I, I, I lost my voice, my ability to preach. And I, I could no longer preach anymore. I would so. I, I, I would this, if, let's say let's say for whatever I had to move. I would find a church where there are pastors who are following the scriptures and teaching the scriptures, and I would submit my life under them gladly. I think from having from this side of it, I could find so much joy in being in in a a church and and just loving and supporting and following. The pastor as he follows Christ. It's what we must do. We must follow Christ. So today, in, in closing, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a different sermon because I'm giving us um, instruction as a church. Over these next few months, weeks, be intentional with Buddy and Andrew. Be intentional to watch them. Be intentional to talk to them. Be intentional to ask them questions. To love them. To care for them in this process. Be committed to this body. If you're not a member yet, um, if you're not a member of this body, I mean, it's, it's members of, of, of the church who will vote. By the way, I would, I would also say that if, if you're not a member of the body, you just I would love for you to start the membership process um, it very well could, just timing-wise, could keep you from being able to vote. But, but as soon as we uh, uh, appoint them as elders, then there's another office in the church, and it's deacon. And we're going to start the process of appointing deacons. And at the same time, we're going to go ahead and start looking for our next elder candidates. Because we want to be a church that our, a church our size, we at least want to have three elders. Well, we're, we're going to have three elders, but one of them is moving somewhere else to plant a church. And so we, we, we're, we're going to be looking for other elders. We're going to start that process. And so um, be committed. Be committed to this process. Be committed to what it means to be a congregational, elder-led church. Keep the standard high. Keep the standard biblical. Watch their character. Make it more important than their competence, but make sure they're competent too. And the second encouragement is simply this. Follow Christ, who's the head of the church, with everything you have. Follow after Christ. You'll not regret it. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us, um, in your word, directions on how we ought to organize the church and how it ought to be. Lord, thank you for giving us godly men who are willing to follow you and willing to make sacrifices in order to do it. 
Lord, may we be faithful in following them as they follow you and loving them as they love you. May our hearts be drawn to you. May our, 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 our hearts be full of adoration and thanksgiving, God, for who you are and what you've done, the, the sacrifice that you paid by dying on the cross for our sins. So, Father, we ask you to move. We ask you to work. We ask you to do far more in Overland Church than we could ever ask, imagine, or think. Lord, would you make us a church who proclaims the gospel, not just from the pulpit, but from out, throughout our daily lives. A church that makes disciples, that literally pours our lives into others, that they might know you and follow you and make disciples of others also. A church that serves. A group of people who don't show up and into the, the assembly, the, the local gathering, waiting, waiting to be served, but come to serve others. Lord, make us servants as you were a servant and gave your life for a ransom for many. And Father, will you make us a church that multiplies, that raises up elders, raises up men, church planning teams, and sends them out. And so, Father, we ask you to send a group from this church to Durango. But Lord, we ask that you plant another church right here in northern Colorado. Lord, I pray that you'd raise up from this church elders to send out to the nations. That you'd pluck in our hearts people that, that, are, that, are, that are full of character and full of competency. With their hearts laid open to you that you would call literally to the ends of the earth that the nations may be glad. Lord, make us an obedient church, a church willing to follow you anywhere. Make us a, a great commission church. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.